We're in Mark, chapter 2, we'll be starting at a verse 23, but before we begin that, since we've been working on Mark for some time, let's do a quick review. What is Mark about? And who wrote it? Who wrote Mark? Mark is John Mark. The words of Peter. Thank you. So he was a close associate of Peter in Peter's last years, later years. And he got his information from Peter because Mark was probably too young to be to have heard much of Jesus. Who was it addressed to? Who, who did Mark address the, not verbal, or not written, but who was his target audience? Who did Romans. he send the letter to? Romans? As in the people that live in Rome, in Italy? No. The people that lived in Rome? Yes, that's who that was for. So Christianity was well distributed by the time Mark wrote it, and that was who he wrote it to. So the thing is that Mark apparently was multilingual, whereas Peter probably wasn't so much. So Mark wrote it to for, for Peter and for himself under God's direction. What are the main themes of the book of Mark? What are, what, actually, what's what the first characteristic we would say of Mark relative to the Gospels? That it's the smallest, the shortest. That's right, it's the shortest one. And we should all have it, well, at least the older ones here should all have it memorized by now. Because <clears throat> that was the, the intention. It was, he kept it brief to make it easier to retain. The uh, themes of the, the book? Show Jesus as the suffering servant. Indeed, the suffering servant. Anything else? Jesus' authority. And why does he have authority? He's God. <laughs> He's God and King. So another part of the theme is that, or another theme is that the kingdom is at hand, in Jesus' words. So he is our King, but he is the suffering servant. And we get to a point on that today, if we get through this. So, as you see here, the issues in, um, oh, this doesn't have a touch screen. So let's begin reading. If, would someone please read the, uh, the verses here in chapter 
two, starting at 23. Thank you. 23 through 28. Good enough. Yep. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need, and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests? And he also gave to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay, so the first thing we see here is that it, and it happened that he was passing through the grain fields. Was that just a happenstance? Probably not. we would know since he is God he knew what was going to happen he planned this he chose to walk through the grain fields on this day because he was planning some lessons for everyone including us so it's a good thing so the, in, the initial why would, why would Mark say, and it happened? Because we don't believe in happenstance. Mm -hmm. He knows that God ordains everything. Good. That is right. And also, when we write, even though we know what's coming, especially in Jesus' case, we write using a term which I can barely pronounce, phenomenological. You speak as though things are as they appear. When we write, we do that. We, we say the sun comes up, but really the earth is probably spinning that makes that appear that way. So we use that term. And that's the way he used that. But certainly we want to remember that Jesus, and not be surprised that Jesus knew what was coming up. So the, the, the issue immediately at hand then is that this is happening on the Sabbath. What's the Sabbath? Simple question. <laughs> Saturday, when people went to the, the tabernacle to worship. It's day of rest. That's right, it's the seventh day of the week as referenced in, in the law because God rested on the seventh day, so he established it as a day of rest. And, and so he made rules about it. Where do we find these rules? Leviticus. Pardon? How about that? Well, where's the first place is this mentioned? Genesis. 
not quite. Well, yeah, the first day or the seventh day is mentioned in Genesis. The, the word of making, keep making it a day of rest and keeping it holy is in Exodus. Yes, it's one of the Ten Commandments. In fact, if you wanted to go there, we could do that. Um, and at some point I had that written down. But anyway, it's Exodus 20, verse 4. So God said that you're to rest on the seventh day, making it a, a uh, How do you know which one is the seventh day? Pardon? How do you know which one is the seventh day? When did he start? Well, in fact, that's a good point. So from the beginning, our, our year, which we figured out, was 360 days for the Jewish nation for us it's 365 and a quarter but um, from the beginning of a time it seems like we kept the seven day week and there's no astrological astronomical reason for us to do that because it doesn't divide the year up perfectly but yet we've been doing that for who knows when on Monday could be the seventh day not Sunday, right? Sunday is the first day. So on Sunday, God said, let there be light. He rested on the seventh day, which is where the word Saturday comes from, and Sabbath, they're all the same word, meaning the seventh. And it bugs me to no end that the translators use the word Sabbath instead of just translating it into our Saturday because we get this massive spiritual connotation now from the word Sabbath, which really should not have for us who are not Jewish, we're not Hebrew. But that's another subject of no consequence. So they were walking in the fields. Isn't there a rule about walking on Sabbath day for the for the Israelis? The Pharisees have created a rule. There you go. There's a, the, the, shall we go there? Let's just look at it. This they is going to be. what work was, and they moved it to so many, so much distance, so many steps. I don't remember exactly how they did it. Well, let's turn quick to Genesis, I mean, Exodus 20, and see what God actually said about it. Because our whole lesson today is related to this Saturday, for Jesus doing things on Saturday. So Exodus 20, verse 8, not 4, I said 4 before, it's 8. Remember the Saturday to keep it holy, which means we're to set it apart. It's a different day than the rest of the week. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the Sabbath, the, but the seventh day is a Saturday, the Sabbath day of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, even your cattle and the sword sojourner, the traveler who stays with you. And this is because in six days 
The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in it, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So he rested, so we're supposed to be resting. We're not supposed to work seven days a week. So those of us who tend to do that are need to be corrected. So we need to take a break. God knows far better than we that we need we need rest. We need relaxation. So that is the stated intention for it. And as Jim said, which we will get into in a, in a moment, the um, Pharisees kind of filled in the blanks in between their ears, uh, filled it up with hot air. So let's talk about the Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? In Mark's day. They were the rulers of, actually we would say they are the religious rulers, but they pushed their authority. This is very uncool. You guys can sit up front here. They're kind of like a political party, though, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And in Jesus' time, the majority of the people were following the Sadducees. There were more of them as a majority. But the Pharisees were the religious ones. The Sadducees were basically, they didn't claim to be atheists, but they didn't believe in the afterlife. <laughs> yep, they, they were, they did not believe in life after death. So they were sad, you see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The, um, but yeah, the Pharisees started out really good during the, uh, you know, a after the exiles at the time of the times of the, the prophets who were telling the nation of Israel to repent and change their ways or they would be expelled out of their country, which is what exactly happened. Uh, some came back, but the Israelis were scattered around the known world at that time, and uh, so they set up a couple of things. One was they came up with this Pharisee sect, and this is also when they invented this synagogue because they did need a place to worship. And the Pharisees started out with a real, really good intentions. They wanted to maintain the study of the Torah. That's what the synagogue was for, a place where they could gather together and collectively study God's word. But with, um, as humans are, we like power and prestige. And so they took it on themselves. By Jesus's day, they were actually buying political power from the Romans. They were exercising their own authority over their spiritual life of the nation of Israel. And that, of course, is what Jesus was always in conflict with, as we see today. So, just a side note here, is there any chance that we could ever become anything like that? <laughs> Legalistic, no. <laughs> yep, seems to be the nature of man, and 
we aren't perfectly free from those wants and wishes. So, okay, I lost my notes here. So the, um, what is our attitude supposed to be? Even if we are elders and pastors and teachers, are we supposed to take advantage of our position that people want to follow us and listen to us? At least some people want to listen, to, or at least we're willing to listen to. What's your attitude? What did Jesus say about that? He said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Jane said that you should become teachers because you will endure a partial judgment. And what's the, the theme verse of Mark itself? Suffering servant. Pardon? They come to be served, but to serve. There you go. Good job. Yeah. Mark 10 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And that's certainly our role. And so as leaders, we can never forget that we're servants, not lording it over people. So again, on the Sabbath day, we have this event. And the, of course, the Pharisees complained about that and so what is the problem here? What actually happened in this little event that is the problem? I have a question. Why oh. were the Pharisees even there? It's like they have a little drone following the Jesus. <laughs> if, they, if that was against the rule, why were they out? <laughs> okay, well the first thing you notice is apparently this walk of Jesus was within the rules because they didn't complain about him walking on the Sabbath. So they were legal. What they complained about was what? Picking up the heads of the grain. Yeah, what's the, what's the deal with that? Is the, the disciples were stealing grain from the farmer? They claimed it was work. Uh, it actually the law allowed you to pick and eat as you're going through an orchard or a field. It was okay. That was specifically allowed primarily for poor people so they could go get food to eat because they didn't have the means to buy it or grow it or whatever. So the law provides for that. But the problem was these guys were harvesting. My goodness, that's a definite no-no. So, so they are complaining to Jesus. And of course, that's why they were following him. They were already, you know, Mark is so fast. He, he goes through, through, it's a short book, so he covers a lot of time quickly. In Matthew and Luke, we see earlier confrontations where Jesus is already getting under the Pharisees' skin really bad. So that's why they are following him to look for an excuse. 
And that's why what we're here to learn about today. So let's read Exodus 31 and see what it says. Would someone grab that, please, for us? What verses? Uh, well, we already read that. Sorry. Uh, 12, 12 through 17. 31, 12 through 17? Yes. Got it. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Fast for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore, you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is a holy, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath, to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. That sounds pretty serious right there, doesn't it? So how do we get around that? Do they really have a serious point against Jesus here? So going back to what Tyler read, what was the purpose or the purposes of setting apart the seventh day? It's a sign. Originally, it made it was rest was the first thing. And then later it included worship. Yeah, so included in there was a sign that the nation of Israel was to be different from all other cultures. To be a physical sign. They weren't out there trying to make money, doing, treating that day as though it's any other day. And so that's why they were not to be working. So does work include eating and feeding yourselves? If you'll remember in, in the uh, desert, in the wilderness, where the nation was wandering, God gave them double manna on Friday so they didn't have to go out scraping it up, picking it up on, on the Saturday. So maybe this is going too far. They were collecting food on Saturday. How would you... Define the the event here. If you were there, if you were one of the disciples walking along, and suddenly the Pharisee taps you on the shoulder and says, "You're worthy of death. You're working on Saturday." One, they weren't practicing quote their normal occupation. There you go. And two. They weren't storing it up for later. They were feeding themselves, which if you 
carry that too far, you can't raise your arm <laughs> or bend over. Right. So they exactly, and that's what they had done. They had they had drawn their lines and they drew them in very comfortable places for themselves, so they can be challenging and judging other people. Suppose we could ever do something like that. So. What, did, what was Jesus' response to this? So what about David? Yeah, so they, he brought up something they would have known in 1 Samuel 21, 1-6. Probably most of us are familiar with that. Um, Saul was trying to kill David, and and he was very wishy-washy, Jonathan would get in his face and say, why are you trying to kill him? He's done nothing but good for you. And so he would relent and he would be back again. But then one day Saul just got mad again and word got all to his daughter, who was David's wife. And she told him, if you don't get out of here right now, you're going to be dead. So she rigged up a dummy in their bed and helped him out the back window and he took off. So he went out, he left home with the clothes on his back. So when he got here to this uh, place where the tabernacle was at that time, he and the guys that were with him um, were hungry. Who knows how long it had been since they ate. They didn't have Denny's or Burger King along the way. So they needed some food, so he thought, wow, there's, I know where there's some bread, a bunch of bread. So he asked for it, went into the temple courtyard and asked the priest for the, for the bread, and the priest gave it to them. And here Jesus is using this illustration of David, who was highly honored by the Pharisees, that David did something that on the face of it would seem to be just totally illegal because only the priests were allowed to eat that bread. And the priests gave it to to him, to them, and they ate it. And God never made any comment in the word about that. So Jesus reminded them of that. And makes this big statement. The Sabbath, the Saturday, was made for man. God did not make man to get somebody something to do on Saturday. So it's a provision for us. That's the provision, and we, you know, I think we're all pretty in this group. We're pretty comfortable with it. And we probably all know people who get very rulesy about what you can do and what you shouldn't do on on Saturday or now they've even switched it and applied it to Sunday, so that's totally off the books. But anyway, that's what he said. And what's Jesus' final statement there? This is what you need to take home today. Keep you from getting rulesy for other people. The Son of Man is the Lord, even on the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath. Yeah, wow. So he's the one 
the only one who should be making rules about it. So did that go well with these guys? Let's go back to uh, to Mark uh, or to Matthew rather, where this this also is recorded, Matthew twelve. Here, Matthew records another comment that Jesus added. And if you are familiar with the law on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent. How do they break the Sabbath? Well, they're there working on the Sabbath. They're working, yeah, they're doing their job. They're doing their regular job and they're eating, for goodness sakes. And then he added that something greater than the temple is here. On chapter 12, verse 7 in Matthew, Jesus said, But if you had known what this means, quote, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice quoting God, you would not have condemned the innocent. So obviously Jesus is confronting the Pharisees on their own turf very, very strongly. So has anyone studied this section in Mark really thoroughly between weeks ago and now? If you would read 1 Samuel, you will see that Mark must have made a mistake here because he, he said, quoting Jesus, how David entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest. If you go to 1 Samuel, Ahimelech is the high priest. Any comments about that? Yes, sir. Thank you. Just a translation into from the original Hebrew <laughs> or something like that? Well, maybe something like that, but not that. <laughs> Ahimelech is the high priest at the time of David. But do you know what happened after he gave the bread to David? He was killed. Yeah. Saul went and had him killed because he was claiming he was supporting David against him. He had a 70 people killed. Crazy, crazy lunatic. Abathar was the son who succeeded him and he was more famous because he lived longer and so, and it was a common practice in the Hebrew to speak of the prominent person in that time of where you would find it in, in the Old Testament, where it was written about. So it's just a practice. So Abadar was alive then, but just not the high priest at the time. 
First Samuel two, 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 two. I just said that. Twenty one. Yep. So yeah, that's the story. It's a horrible story, but part of the crazy things that Saul did after he after he became jealous of David. It's purely purely jealousy and self. It's verse 18 that talks about how Doeg went in and slaughtered the 85 priests. First Samuel 21, 18. Didn't David lie? Is this this is um, when he went to the priest? This was when he was running there. Yep. He, he kind of lied. He did lie. He just he deceived the priest. So he kind of set them up. Samuel. Yep. 21, 18. Yeah, he said. I mean, he. Yeah, we don't. I don't know if Saul and David's uh, conflict was commonly known, but uh, David assumed that if he told the priest that he was running from Saul because Saul was trying to kill him, that would put more guilt on the priest. So he told him he was just in on the king's business and he was in a big hurry, didn't even have time to to bring his weapons, and at that point he grabbed a sword that was there. Guess whose sword? Goliath's. Goliath's sword. Not anymore. So Mr. David must have been quite a guy to be able to carry us and <coughs> think that a sword that big was going to be useful to him. But maybe appearances is part of the battle. Intimidation. So yes, he there's a whole bunch going on here, and God never, we don't have any record that God um, held anything against David for all of that stuff, because Saul was the one perpetrating all of this weird stuff. Okay, so any other questions following here? Jesus says that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And here again, we have a little reference to the king, kingdom. Jesus is Lord. The Son of Man is Lord. He is the king. He is in charge. He is the authority over the Sabbath, over Saturday. The other thing we can see here, though, that you know, the Saturday was made for man. Our day of rest was intended by God for us. And since Jesus is the Lord of the rest day, that's one of the reasons we felt free in the early years to switch the day of worship from Sabbath, Saturday to Sunday. We have, we have clearance for that because it's not a rigid seven-stone rule, and it doesn't apply to us Gentiles anyway. So we've, in the early years of the church, they switched that to Sunday, the day of Jesus' resurrection. And the other point to remember is that God intended the rest day for man's benefit, not a rule to hold him down. If you remember in the 
in the what in uh, Exodus 31 where Tyler read it was a celebration day it's not a day to be grumpy it's a day to have fun to enjoy to relax to it's God's provision for us to, to celebrate so even for the nation of Israel though God's law was for his glory it was to set them apart and show the rest of the world that they were led by a good God to provide something that man certainly needed anything else before we go to the next fight <laughs> in Hebrews 4 it talks about how Jesus is our Sabbath and we find our rest in him we celebrate him. He's the one who provides that for us. So the Sabbath was a, a shadow, a picture that was fulfilled by Christ himself. Very good. He is our rest. And I, for one, as a dark personality per person, really appreciates that we can rest in Jesus. Every day, countless times I say, that's in God's hands. I don't need to worry about that like I really want to worry about. It. It's in God's hand. He is in control. He is doing this for his purpose. Okay, move on. Let's somebody want to read Mark 3, 1 to 6 for us. And we'll see the next issue. Thank you. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. Then he said to him, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out, he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the others. The, the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him that they might destroy him. What'd you say? Yep, that's it. That's the punchline. So, we're again on Saturday, this time in the synagogue. Pay attention to this situation on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. This is happening. So we have the same characters. It's a different event, but the same intention and the same accusation by the Sabbath police. So again, Jesus knows, you know, knew what was coming up here, knowing all things. He was there. He knew what was going to happen. And so we see that Pharisees are also there with the same intention, it's just looking for something to condemn him for. So 
Jesus says in Matthew, Matthew said that he said, get up and come forward, or Luke rather, get up and come forward. So God, Jesus is getting everybody's attention on to him. So he's not doing this secretly like some of his healings was. He's doing this right there so all can see. And he also is testing the man, uh, what went through the guy's mind because he didn't ask to be healed. He was just there and Jesus saw him. So he had him stand up and come forward. And he did. He got up and came forward. And then Jesus said, uh, you know, trying to, or knowing what's in the Pharisees' minds, he, he asked them. What did he ask them? Is it lawful to do good or harm on the Sabbath? Do we know what their rule was about doing good or evil on Saturday? No, I don't think they had a rule. <laughs> they did. They did. You could help somebody if he was at risk of life. If he's going to live till Sunday, you're not allowed to help him till Sunday, till Sabbath is over. So this was obviously not a life or death situation. This guy's been walking around for years probably with his hand like that. And so they, they had another perfect opportunity because they just knew that Jesus would want to heal this guy. Isn't this amazing? The, the spiritual leaders of these people certainly didn't want you to see their hearts, did he? So Jesus asked them, trying to get them to think this through in their own minds. I mean, are you really going to complain about somebody doing good on a, Sabbath, on a Saturday? Again, it's not work. Does Jesus have to expand a lot of energy to do this? Not that they can tell. Um, they, it's just amazing. In Matthew, he says, he even tells the Pharisees that even they would pull a sheep out of a hole if it got stuck in it on a Sabbath. So they're being very, very inconsistent and very, very sad deal. And then and, and Jesus says and, and let's see, it didn't do my work well here. I think it's in Matthew. Let me and yeah, Matthew, he says, isn't a man worth a lot more than a sheep? So then what did they do? Their hard-heartedness was shown that their hatred for, Eve, for Jesus kept them from seeing the wonderful miracle yeah. of the man being healed. I mean, that's... That's just hard to understand. If you saw something wonderful like that happen, would you really be concentrating on where they broke the rules? 
miracle of God like that, it would be trying to make something bad out of it. <laughs> well, and, and you say the same thing. This is what Jesus did. It, this is the one place in the New Testament where it explicitly says that he looked at them with anger. But anger and grief at the same time. So it's not an either or. We can be angry at sin and sad at their situation at the same time. Totally amazing how we can be that way, but I'm sure we never are that way. <laughs> so what was the response after healing the man? And notice Jesus didn't even touch him. He, he just said, stretch out your hand. And everybody could see, and the hand went from being mangled to being perfect, just like that. Yeah, how could you watch that, see that, and, and complain about the rule? Man, truly astonishing. Yeah, their own words are going to be a judgment against them in the day of judgment. Those responses that so clearly demonstrate their, their blindness and their wicked hearts, it's going to stand a testimony against them. <clears throat> Yep, it sure is amazing. Yes, so obviously, I mean, that would have been so obvious to everybody there how cold those people were to complain about something like that. It's amazing the, the irony of the, the whole situation where they set a trap for Jesus, fully knowing that he was more than capable of just healing this guy's hand. And then they set the trap, and Jesus basically, right you know, door. corrects them right then and there and says, hey, uh, would it be, you know, would it be kind of rude of me to see this man's need just go, yeah, whatever. And so he heals him anyway, and now they're kind of trapped, and he, he corrects them. And so now they can't accuse him because he's trapped them with the, with the words of, with, of God and the law. And so they get angry, and they go out and plot to kill him because they can't, you know, do what they were initially going to do. It's just a whole missed the, miss the forest for the tree. Sure is amazing, isn't it? So this is, yes, as you say, this is the first hint that Mark gives us of Jesus' direction and the end of the road is the cross. Mm -hmm. Because he right then says they went out and they plotted. You know, it, the Israelis were so proud of being Jewish. They are so hostile towards Rome ruling over them. And here these guys at the top of that ladder going to the Roman political party to work on killing it, killing Jesus, because he's healing people. Not because he's healing people. Why were they against him? Right, and what's the other side of that coin? They didn't want things to change. That's right. They liked their comfy position. They liked their prestige and their power. 
and their privilege. Members of the Sanhedrin, they were in powerful positions, and most of them used it to make money for profit. Uh, it was not unlike some of the politicians today. <laughs> and it had very little to do with worshiping God or keeping God's law. It was about power. Power, prestige, and you said another one, prosperity. They, they were they were just as human as you could be, huh? That's just the hope that we don't become so uncompassionate. Even as disciples of Jesus, we are not free from those temptations. We are not free. And, the, and if we start on that road, do you know where the end is? What was the end of the road for those Pharisees? They actually murdered Jesus. They colluded, connived. They went against so many of their own principles and preaching and did everything that they were supposed to be up against. Amazing. We even see later that they basically admitted that the things he was doing was of God that they were against yeah. anyway. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> And these are the guys supposed to be enforcing God's law. <laughs> or keeping God's law. They really weren't charged with enforcing it. That's yeah. right. <laughs> and, go ahead. Yeah, Luke's account, Luke 6, it says right after this that but it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray and spent the whole night in prayer to God. Meeting oh. on the hills of this encounter with the Pharisees the hill of man's hand. I guess the other lesson for us is to be careful who you get ang make angry at ourselves. But do we? Do we want to be careful about that? Because the government and our culture especially is telling us what to do all the time. Um, we, have, we have some dark roads, dark alleys in our future here. And if we submit to the government pushing too far into our freedom in Christ, we are going to have to pay that price. I just can't help but think about Germany at the time of Hitler's beginnings. It was a very sad situation over there and, and he just really put the people in the pastors of the churches, the German church, into a very uncompromisable position. And yet they, they so many of them compromised. It's a sad, sad story. And we'll be seeing the same thing happen in our country in the coming days. So you young people, stay on your toes. And maybe some of us old people will even get a chance to see where we stand. Anything else to talk about or question that I won't be able to answer? You know, they, we talk about how, how they act 
kindness of their hearts, but sometimes we're like, I know I'm supposed to forgive you, but I'm not going to, or I can't, or I won't, or, you know, uh, and we're doing the same thing. We're saying, I know God has told me to forgive, but I refuse to. I'm going to hold a grudge against that guy because I'm mad at him. <laughs> Indeed, that is, there are so many little steps to get onto that path of just starting to ignore God in our lives. So easy. So many places, anywhere along the way that can happen. Anyone else? Let's pray them. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for making it so incredibly clear to us what your intentions are, what your purposes are, that your love for us is incomprehensible. Just ask that we act like obedient disciples, that our hearts really are changed by you and that we submit to your rule over us in our deepest being and that we can walk in your ways and show this world that you do live and you are alive in us because we do not follow the ruler of this age. Thank you so much, God, for giving us this time, this peaceful, comfortable time of learning and studying for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.